Before we start the show, I would like to spend a few minutes giving honor to the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Associate Justice of the Supreme Court until her death this past weekend. A great American. A five-foot giant. Yes, a five-foot giant. What she did for our country and what she did for women's rights, gender equality, is unmatched. I've had the privilege of just saying a hello to her on the House floor <laughs> over the years during the year 94, 95, as I recall. Nothing more than that, but still it, it ranks as one of my Forrest Gump moments. Just like another pioneer from the Supreme Court, that being Thurgood Marshall. I had a chance to meet him. In fact, he swore me in as a member of Congress back in 1991. What he did for Black Americans is also unparalleled from his position as a person who was trying a case before the Supreme Court and as the years passed as a member of the Supreme Court as an Associate Justice. Two icons in American history. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest in peace. I am so sorry that there is so much discussion over how and when our government will replace you. For starters, they cannot replace you, not truly. Your intellect, your courage, your strategic wisdom, your strength and willingness to fight through adversity would truly be unparalleled. Graduated number one in your class at Columbia Law School, also a graduate of Cornell. America was far different back then. I remember the days of Leave it the Beaver, Bewitched, the Donna Reed show. Yes, the role of women in all of those shows were basically the same. They stayed at home while the men went out to earn a living. Ruth Bader Ginsburg changed all that for women. And no longer did you have to say, why are you out here trying to seek a law degree like she was asked when she was at Harvard University? Thank God today, no one would even think of asking a woman that question. But back in the 60s and 70s, especially the 60s and 50s, obviously, it was something that she always had to fight off. And like her predecessor in the Supreme Court, who was also a woman, Sandra Day O'Connor, despite great grades, had a difficult time or was not accepted to work for one of the top law firms 
upon graduation have changed, largely because of the fights that RBG was willing to wage. She was the first Jewish woman to serve on the Supreme Court and the first Jewish person since 1969. And as I mentioned earlier, the second female to serve on the Supreme Court. But what I remember most are two major decisions. One can be deemed as a victory, one can be deemed as a, as a loss. The victory occurred when I was in office, 1996, when there was a case against VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. And her argument prevailed that the institution could not discriminate and ban women from attending that great institution. Eight, one, eight to one decision. The second was a case that she actually lost, but still won. And that is one of the amazing things that I, that I really loved about about RBG is the fact that when she lost, she actually, in more ways than one, she won. The Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act was a result of a loss by RBG in a case that Goodyear waged that they felt that they were proper because of the statute of limitations to not have this equal pay issue be one in which they would be rendered guilty. Well, the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act in 2008 changed the statute of limitation and women could actually make a claim for equal pay beyond what it had been before. So she lost, but she won. And in so many instances, her arguments, her dissenting op opinions were so powerful that they shook the nation more so than the prevailing decision. She will be missed as a powerful influence on our country for 27 years. We were most fortunate to have her and to her family, her friends, and to those who worked with her, Godspeed. So welcome back. So you really want to run for office. Well, it's time now. After Labor Day, truly, it's like, it's like the bells go off and people just uh, you know rush toward, toward campaigning, Gary. That's how it usually works in any type of election. I don't care if you're running for alderman or running for mayor or running for Congress, Senate, doesn't make any difference. Labor Day is kind of like the day in which the campaign start. You start seeing more TV commercials, radio commercials, and everything of, of the sort. And what I like to do today, Gary, is start from the point in which you make your announcement for whatever race, and I'm going to make this more toward running for Congress, and then we're going to get into voter contact and really what you should be doing each and every day from the point of uh, the, your announcement until election day and, and truly it's what i did in literally all of my elections whether and once again i ran nine times and won six times so this formula that i'm going to be mentioning today has been tested <laughs> so <laughs> and once again i think the bottom line of, of, of every race that i had 
the ones I won and the ones that I lost. The key is you got to work hard. And people truly, truly do admire the fact that you're putting in the effort to not only convey your message, but to win their vote. And, and that is so very important. People who sit in their basement or stay in one area all the time, they're truly not demonstrating uh, the capacity to fight to win an election. And if you're not willing to fight to win an election, then what are you going to do when you actually win the election? And that's how most people deem it. So Gary, we've talked about team you put together. We've talked about everything that you would do prior to this moment, except for one item. And that is your press secretary getting you ready and getting your district ready for your announcement. So here's what he does. The press secretary tells people that on such and such a day, maybe a week before, maybe three or four days before, that you are going to announce your candidacy for Congress. And he, his goal is to make sure that every single paper that would be in the district will show up for that announcement. His goal is to have every radio station show up for your announcement and to have all the TV stations show up for your announcement. It's hard to do, especially when you're not that well-known. In my first race in 1990, 30 years ago, you know, I had a press conference announcing my candidacy, and uh, let's see how many people showed up. We had the local paper, two newspapers, and one radio station. And one TV station that stayed for like maybe five minutes just to get some file footage, and then they left as well. So it was not a rousing type of, uh, of announcement as far as drawing attention. What does a press secretary do for politicians? Well, the key thing is to um, get you free media. That's one of the jobs, free media. It's an excellent question, Gary. The second thing is to allow you to get out your message. And the third thing that a press secretary is supposed to be able to do is to handle situations that are adverse to you. So when there's a negative story or some comments that people are making that are not positive, it's your press secretary who gets out in front of that. Let's come back to that. That's an excellent point, Gary, because the press secretary's responsibilities are not one-dimensional. They have at least three things that they must do. And the key for all of those three things would be to cultivate a relationship with the media. When I say the media, I mean the print people, the newspapers, the radio people, the TV people. And when I say cultivate a relationship, they're, they're calling them from time to time. They're sending them press releases about my position on various issues. They're sending them press releases about attacks against my opponent. And so it's that relationship building that is absolutely a key. And they are your spokesperson. That person would be your spokesperson. If, if the situation goes beyond them where the campaign manager has to deal with it, then the press secretary has failed to a certain degree. And if the press secretary and the manager cannot handle the situation and you as the candidate would have to respond, then the situation is, is even more dire. So we'll get into that in greater depth a little later. But for your announcement's sake, the, the key is to give you that attention so that following the day in which you make your announcement, you see yourself on ideally the front page of every single paper in your district. Now, we did accomplish that. I think most of the newspapers did have a front page story 
some had a picture, some did not for my announcement. So that that is a good thing. So because you want to once again make people aware of the fact that you're running, and so that's that's very key. That's very important. In both instances, we did radio for the um, announcement as well. So we chatted with the reporter from the radio station. And once again, a lot of these are just snippets of maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds worth of comments, because keep in mind, they're going to be on the news for that radio station. So they're not going to give you the whole program. They're going to just give you uh, a few seconds. Same thing with TV, even a shorter period of time. So once you have made your announcement and you invite other people to, to, uh, to show up for your announcement as well. In my case, we just had certain family members that were there. Uh, Gary, we had your mom and we had Asia and, and we had uh, my mother and maybe one or two other folks were there for my family. A lot of my brothers and sisters were outside of the area. After you make your announcement, then you start your routine of making sure you see, touch, or are exposed to a number of people each and every day. What I used to do, Gary, was I had a quota of X number of people that I wanted to shake the hand of or stop and talk. And I actually carried a little, at time, from time to time, a little counter in my hand. So every time I talked to a person or, or shook the hands of a person, I would count it. And I would, or I would have my staffer keep the counter and he or she would count it until I reach a certain number of people that I would touch, see, or talk to each and every day. So I turned it into like a little game. What I also did was I had an RV, which was a, a nice tactic, quite frankly, because the RV had a little kitchen in it, it had a little bed, it had chairs. You see it now in almost every campaign, but back in 1990, you did not see people driving around in big RVs. And what made my RV special? Because on the front, I'm sorry, on the sides of my RV and on the back, it was like a billboard saying, Gary Franks for Congress or Franks for Congress. Why was that so special, Gary? Because no matter where I went, people saw like a billboard of my name and what I was running for. And then what I used to do, Gary, was I would allow the, the RV just to drive up and down various cities, various roads, and I wouldn't even be in it. And so people would think that I was in it. And then they'll say, boy, you're, uh, you, you, you were in Derby. And in fact, never in Derby. I could have been in Meriden, you know, 30 miles away. But it allowed me to give people the appearance I was in two places at the same time. And it was really great. It, great made it, it made it look like I was working harder than I was working. But in reality, it, it, was, um, it allowed me to increase my visibility throughout the uh, congressional district. So before you have your announcement speech, it's absolutely critical that you spend some time doing something very fundamental. That is preparing for questions. Because once you make your announcement, you're gonna leave it open for the press to ask you questions. And you can't fluff your first bunch of questions because unfortunately, it's hard to make a second first impression. It's very hard. So you have to remember that when you get that opportunity to get on radio, to get on TV, or you know you're going to end up on the front page of a particular newspaper, you better have your answers set. And the first question you're going to have is, guess what? 
Why are you running for Congress? That's the first question. So if you don't have an answer for that question, you shouldn't be running for Congress. So there are natural questions that people are going to ask. Formulate those questions, write them down, and start to come up with answers for them. Now, Gary, I did this all the time. When I won my first election in 1990, I was on Nightline that same night with earplugs in my ear. So I always knew what questions they were going to ask. No, not because they gave me the questions. It's because it's common sense. If you can't figure out what they're going to ask you, you really are in the wrong profession or you really don't know what you're doing. So you should have a good feel for what they are going to ask you just because you have common sense and then formulate answers for the question. Always realizing that you got to make an impression in a very short period of time so people would want to vote for you and even before that, want to help you in some way, such as writing you a big check. So you have to show a contrast immediately. This is what I'm for, this is what I would do, and this is what my opponent would do. This is what I would do, this is what I've done, and my opponent really doesn't have that experience. And you go back and forth, so people are left feeling as though they know something about you and they know something about your opponent and that's why they're gonna vote for you. It's absolutely key, before you make your announcement, to be able to understand that you will be given questions Ask your kitchen cabinet, what do you think they're going to ask me? When you're going around looking at the prospects of running, you're getting questions from people because you're asking people, hey, what do you think about some? So you, you want to have a little informal little gathering so you can see what are the questions that you typically get when you're just canvassing a certain area. Oh, I think that we should do such and such. I think taxes are too high. So you know some of the questions that people are going to ask. Read the newspaper, listen to the red, local radio shows. So you can come out of the gate looking like a rocket scientist. Because if you fumble that question, those early questions, it would be very hard to recover. The most dramatic example of that would be Ted Kennedy when he was running for president in 1980 against Jimmy Carter. And he was on 60 Minutes and he was asked the question, why do you want to run for president? And it took him like 10 minutes to answer that question. It was so bad that I think the reporter was trying to answer it for him because it was just, it was, it was painful. You can Google it. It's very, it's one of the, it's one of the highlights of things. You, you just should not fluff. And he just totally, totally, totally blew it. And I believe, not that he would have beaten Jimmy Carter, uh, as far as getting the nomination back in 1980, but he, he just lost a whole lot of folks in like two minutes. And you never get the chance to get it back in that time. You never get a chance to get it back. So that is the most important thing that you have to do before you make the, your announcement, before you actually walk on that stage to tell people why you're running for Congress. That is the key. That's the key. And we talked about what should be in the speech already. So you already have that. You have to go back to some past episodes to get that, folks. But we already gave you that information. Now you have to be ready for the questions that you're going to receive. And once you master those, basically you're going to get the same questions all the time. You know, someone's going to be trying to be a little cute and try to mix the question, make the question sound a little different. But basically, they're all about the same. They're not that different. It's not that hard. What I'm saying is critical. But 
yeah, believe me, you, you, you get used to it. What's a typical campaign day like? Well, during the week, I'm going to start there, Gary, because the weekends were a little different, and I'll come back and talk about uh, what, what I did on the weekend. During the week, it started like this. Probably at around 5.30 in the morning or so, I would get up and maybe 6 o'clock and go to a factory gate for a 6.30 arrival time. Why 6.30? Because usually the shifts are ending at 7 o'clock and the new shift is beginning at 7 o'clock. So sometimes in some areas and some companies, they would allow their workers out at 6.30 or so so they can get out of the parking lot and then at seven o'clock the new this the first shift that the day shift would start and they would usually go from seven o'clock until three o'clock so i would be at a factory gate at six thirty or so to be able to shake hands and greet people as they're going in to the factory what i did was i did not like to talk to people when they were they were coming out because it's a whole different mentality. People are really, they want to get out of there. They have no desire to stop and talk or do anything. In fact, they feel like they're being trapped if you, if you, if you try to stop them when they're coming out. They want to get out. So I learned that over time. So, but, so you really want to see the people that, who are coming in for the 7 o'clock shift. So I didn't even bother with the people who are on the graveyard shift trying to get out. By 7 o'clock, I'll be set up, have a couple of staffers with me. We'll have handouts to give the people. Sometimes the, the company would not want you to give them handouts because then it's going to end up in the trash or on the floor somewhere and they don't want to pick, have to pick it up. So just being able to see, see me and see signs of my campaign holding Gary Franks or Franks for Congress signs, it gave a, a presence that, you know, in many instances, you know, people were surprised to see. And just stopping, saying hello to folks, shaking hands with folks, and people wanted to talk for a minute or two, or 30 seconds or so, I would talk to them. And you start your day doing that. And that would just basically run until about 6.30 until about 7 o'clock because they are supposed to be at their station working at 7 o'clock. So that half hour would be the extent of your first event. Now, after that, I would go to uh, typically like a 7-Eleven or a coffee shop area. Now, if I were doing it now, I would go to probably a Starbucks or something of that nature. And I would stand outside of Starbucks. Now, keep in mind, your field director is arranging all of these meetings, all of these events. You can't just show up at a factory gate and say, hey, I want to say, you know. So your field director is calling the company and saying, hey, um, Mr. Franks, Alderman Franks would like to be able to meet your workers at the, at the factory gate. Or you go to 7-Eleven. 7-Elevens were one of my hot spots because they had them all over. And people would come in there. That was like Starbucks would be today. But the beauty of the 7-Eleven would be that they also had the newspaper, which obviously, Gary, you're not really that familiar with because you don't see too many newspapers anymore. But people used to get their morning newspaper and, and then get back in their car and go back to work. And so what I used to do from time to time, if it was a very popular 7-Eleven, I would use campaign money, whatever, 100, 200, whatever dollars, and say, here, owner, Tell everyone that coffee's on Gary Franks this morning. So people will walk in between 7 o'clock now and now it's 7 o'clock and 8.30 or so. People will be walking in. I'll be outside shaking hands with people as they're going in. They'll go in. And when they come out, they will say, hey, thanks for the coffee. And they will say, hey, I'll say, don't forget, November. 
And I said, oh, yeah, I got you, man. And, and so my people, it was a nice gesture to be able to, to do that. We didn't do that every day, but every once in a while, we would surprise people by uh, buying their coffee that morning. And, we, you know, once again, it was 27 towns in the district. And so we would be all over going to places early on that we, uh, you know, do we have a rhyme or reason for it? Yes, it was, it was poll driven to a certain degree. But early on in the campaign, you really want to secure your base early on. So you're spending time where, where you're actually very strong with already so that when a poll is done, it can, you can look really strong in areas that you're supposed to be strong in. Because if you don't look strong in areas that you're supposed to be strong in, how are you going to win? So early on, I would spend a lot of time in Waterbury, a lot of time in the suburbs of Waterbury, because I wanted to be able to have a story to tell potential givers to my campaign uh, so they can see that, hey, and where, where they know me and where they know my opponent, the election is, is a tie. And that was the argument I used. And why was that? Because that's, that's the only place I campaigned initially, was just in places where I was already known. And I concentrated on places that were very likely to be supportive of me. I did not go out into the areas that didn't know me at that point. I was not trying to drive up my name idea. I was trying to have a message of, if they knew me and they knew my opponent, I won. So give me more money, give me more resources so I can get known in the other parts of the district and I'll win there too. So that was the logic that I was working with. So after that, now it's 8.30. So now about 8.30, 9 o'clock, I would go into my campaign office. And there we, we have a meeting every morning and, and make certain decisions that my little kitchen cabinet had, had um, put in front of me. And that would determine, you know, where we're going to go the next day, where we're going to do this, what we're going to do on the weekend, the invitations that we're getting for, for various events. All of those things would be reviewed. I would talk to my consultants at that time. So that whole period of time, from maybe about 10, from 9 o'clock until about maybe 10 o'clock, 10.30 would be done in that manner. Then after that, we would hit a school. And the school, typically, once again, 27 towns, there are a lot of schools. And I'm not talking about just high schools. I'm talking about middle schools. I'm talking about grade schools. Why? Because even if a kid's in fourth grade, fifth grade, you give them a pencil that says Franks for Congress, or you give them a magnet saying Franks for Congress, they take it home to mommy and daddy. And mommy and daddy now know that I made contact with their kids, which means I made contact with them indirectly. And so once again, you call ahead of time, you make sure it's all scheduled in there where you show up at a school and you speak to one of the grades. You don't have to speak to the whole school. You don't want to do that. You just want to go in one class because once they're going to announce that you're in the building, everyone in the building is going to know you're there in the school. You got your RV sitting outside. So everyone who's in the play yard is going to see your big RV. So you walk in the school and you speak to the one seventh grade class or all the seventh grade class classes, something of that nature. You take questions. They're prepared because they know you're coming. So they have certain questions. So you get all of that attention and you're ready to go. And it really helps you. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, 
and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. It's hard to get these, but it was not hard for me in my first election because everyone wanted to see if I could walk into gum at the same time. So it was easy to get speaking engagements, especially in the part of the, of the district that did not know me. So it was great. It was a great opportunity. So you try to get the Lions Club or the, or the Kiwanis Club or, or any type of club that has a lunch meeting. And there are a bunch of them out there. Every town has these these functions in which it would draw, you know, 50, 100 people. That'd be a max, but usually about 40 to 70 people will be there. All the movers and shakers of that community would be there. And obviously, if you're on the agenda for to be the keynote speaker for that lunch, you're going to drive more of a crowd because they charge people. So, you know, they're trying to get people to come to your event and you're the speaker. So they can raise the money. You get none of it, but that's not, that's fine. You don't want any of it. All you want is to be able to talk to people and make your case as to why you should be their next congressman. So you get there at around 1230 or so, you want people to go be there and mingle. They usually get there at 12, they mingle around, then they eat at 1230, and then they allow the speaker to speak, usually between you know 1240 and, yeah, usually about by 1240 you, you have to speak, because by one o'clock or so, they want to be out of there. One, one, I think it's 130 or so, they want to be out of there. Sometimes it's two hours, but you don't want to be, my point is, don't be there for the whole thing. Just get there. You don't need to eat the rubber chicken. Just get there, shake a few hands, sit at the head table, give your remarks, and then you got to rush off to another engagement. Unless you really like the event or you really like the food, then stay for the food because that will be free and, and stay and, and talk to the people afterwards. That's also very good. Nothing wrong with doing that. And so you, you can play around with that. So let's say you did both, that, that you did stay around for the whole, whole event. So you're gonna be you're gonna be finished at twelve at two o'clock. So now at two o'clock, what I usually did at two o'clock was to take a break, <laughs> to take a break. And so that break would would last from two o'clock. Now the break may not be a true break. That's why the RV comes in handy. The break would be a drive to a different part of the district, because I still want to be in front of that factory gate at three o'clock. Once again. The second shift is coming in at three o'clock. So I would leave that event and then go travel. And when I'm traveling, I would fall asleep. You probably have noticed this. No, you haven't noticed this, but I usually drive and we go up and go back and forth to various parts of uh, New York, New York and Connecticut, Gary. But back in the day, if I got in the car and I was, I was in the car for longer than five minutes, I was asleep. So <laughs> all I had to feel, that was it. So whenever I got in the RV and we were traveling from one part of, this, of my district to another part, I want it quiet, but the RV was so big, you can go to a certain part of the RV and just go to sleep. Then at three o'clock, there you go at that factory gate again, greeting people as they're coming in. Once again, that's only between 2.30 and three o'clock because after that, you stay at 3.15 because people are stragglers getting a little late. So the bottom line of it is, you're, you're there for that little 40, 45 minute spurt. So already you see a pattern. And most of the events that I'm doing, they're just spurts. You know, maybe I would hit two 7-Elevens in one day in various locations because I'm only going to be there for like 30 minutes, 30, 40, 45 minutes. And then I mentioned already the factory gates. That's only a 30, 35-minute type, 40-minute type thing. And then the school, it's only about 
the max is going to be an hour if you have to meet with some of the teachers or whatever. That's only an hour. And then with the speaking engagement for lunch, it's only 45 minutes. You're out. And then you take a little break in the car where you're driving. And so you get a little hour, maybe hour break. And then you have the three o'clock event. You have the three o'clock workers coming in. That's only going to be another half hour, 45 minutes. And now it's like 3.30. So at 3.30 or so, I would go back to the campaign office. And then I would do the dreaded fundraising calls. Ugh. Hated that. Ugh. Hated dialing for dollars. Uh, it's the worst part of the whole campaign. You got to beg for money. Oh, it's terrible. We're going to spend a little more time on how you do that a little later in another, another episode. It's the most disgusting part of the entire process. I hated it, hated it, hated it. Hated it so much that I made my finance director sit next to me and make the calls for me and, and, and just help me through the process. And I made it a game. I said, okay, if I raise, I'll just throw out a figure. As soon as I raise $5,000, I can stop, right? I would say to my finance director, yeah, you raise 5000 we stop. So I would try to get 10 people to give me $500 so I can stop this damn thing. I hated it. I hated it. But I made it a game. I made it. Into, I turned it into a game. Even when I ran for the Senate, turned it into a game. I had a certain amount of money I had to raise, and I stayed on the phone until I accomplished that. Now, by that time, by 5 o'clock or so, I would start to head back home and, and spend some time with, with my wife. And at 6 o'clock, I would be there for dinner and look at the news, 6 o'clock news, 6.30 news, national news. And around 7.30, we would start the next phase of the campaign. Now, what would normally happen at this point, I would try to, to, to kind of shore up my Republican support by going to what's known as Republican town committee meetings. And those are the people, we talked about the town committee before. Those are the leaders of that community. So if I wanted to go to Newtown, Connecticut, I would go there and talk to the Republicans, just the Republicans, and just you know tell them what I'm doing, and they'll give me 15, 20 minutes, and they ask me questions, and et cetera. But I would also be scheduling coffees at people's homes. This is something that John F. Kennedy kicked, made very popular back in the day when he ran for Congress back in the 40s. They didn't really need to raise money because the Kennedys were filthy rich, but they wanted to give the appearance of doing little fundraisers, but they didn't want to make them fundraisers. So what they did was they got individuals to, to host coffees. Your campaign workers would call, or you may have people that you've met with during the course of your, your traveling around the district, and you would say to them, or they would say to you, I'd like to be able to help. Oh, you'd like to help? Well, can you host a coffee in your house you know, and have your neighbors come and I'll come and, and, and make some remarks and take questions and... Uh, Oh, I don't want to do a fundraiser. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not a fundraiser. I just want to come in and just speak to your friends. That's all. And I'll say, oh, okay. And so some of them make it really glamorous. They sit on invitations and all that. And so you come in, and but you schedule it so that you can do about two of those a night. So by the time 9 o'clock would roll around, you're, you're driving into someone's driveway. Now, the people have been there since 8.30 or so, probably. 8.30, 9 o'clock. No, 8.30. So you come in. And you make a few remarks. We talked about what you're going to do. You're going to say a little joke, walk your way through. Everything we talked about before, you get that in there, and you give your remarks. And then the host would say, and sometimes the host is very hesitant to do this, but the host would say, or the hostess would say, well, folks, you just heard from Mr. Franks, Congressman Franks, or Alderman Franks, 
And I think he did a great job. What do you think, folks? And everyone would start clamping. And then the host would say, you know, these campaigns, they cost money. You know, you can't just win an election and, and without money. And so I want you people, and you know you can do it. I want you people to open up your checkbooks and write a check. I don't care what you write it out for. Just write a check for Franks for Congress and leave it with his staffer over here who's in the corner. Put it, He has a little pile over here. Just put it in that little tray there before you leave. I want everyone to do that. I don't care how much you put in there, but you got to put something in. I know this is not a fundraiser, but didn't you love his remarks? We got to get him elected. And that's what you want her to do or him to do. And that's what they all do. And all of a sudden you walk out with two or three grand. Not bad. Bates beats sitting in a, in a room, making telephone calls endlessly and getting people and begging for money yourself. So you do a couple of those every night. The second one would be at maybe 10 o'clock. Yeah, it started at nine. You get there kind of late. You rush from one event to the next, do the same thing. And you schedule tons of these every single night, at least two or three or four every single night during the week, not on the weekends, during the week. And then you wrap it up with going to places where young people would go. So bowling alleys. You hit the bowling alleys in every single parts of your, of your district. Every community has one. And then you also look at, and I did this at, at, the, at the end of every night, because now it's about 11.30, 11 o'clock, 11.15. You go to restaurants, I'll call them bars, because that's basically what they are. And you go there and you buy people drinks. And you say, hey, the next round of drinks is on the Franks for Congress campaign. And you leave, you know, do two or three hundred, you know, you don't get too carried away. It's something you know, when people ordering, you know, Long Island iced teas, which cost a fortune, I guess. But you want them to know that, you know, the next drinks on them, whatever they had before, give them another one. That's how we usually handle it. So they no one got carried away with ordering specialty drinks. And they're thrilled. And you didn't, you don't talk to anybody, you don't give any speeches, but you, you'll walk around and if people want to stop you to talk to you, fine. They're drunk, so they don't. You don't want to get too engaged with these folks because you never can tell what could happen. But you want to know that here it is, eleven fifteen, eleven thirty. You're working your butt off. You're still working, and that's the day. Then you get home, and you start the same thing all over again. Different community, but the same basic thing. Don't forget to subscribe.